Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to our Christmas edition episode of Classics with Adam, where we take a look at some of the greatest novels in modern history. Today's novel has nothing to do with Christmas, but we will be covering Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment from 1866. Although having been written in 1800s Russia, Crime and Punishment has maintained relevance since its inception and is heralded as a classic still today due to its depiction of the criminal psyche. Psychological writing legend Friedrich Nietzsche has even been quoted saying Dostoevsky is the only psychologist I have anything to learn from. The novel opens on protagonist Rodia Raskolnikov planning out a crime. He's going back and forth with himself on whether or not he should commit it, and this internal conflict becomes a recurring point of the plot. Even after the crime is committed, we follow his conflict on whether or not he should turn himself in. This conflict is also what Dostoevsky manifests the main punishment from the title, as we discover that the true punishment from committing great crimes comes from the criminal's own guilt and self-punishment, rather than the prison time he may serve. He walks into the apartment of Aliona Ivanovna, an old mean pawnbroker lady. He pawns his grandfather's watch to her, but we find out this lady is who he is planning on killing and robbing. On his way back to his house, Raskolnikov stops at a tavern where he meets Marmoladov, who is an unemployed businessman with a drinking problem. He tells Raskolnikov about his family and how his wife Katerina has made his oldest daughter Sonia prostitute herself since money is tight. Once back at his apartment, Raskolnikov receives a letter from his sister, Dunya, and his mother, Pulcheria. The letter talks about how Dunya has recently been made free from her job as a servant for the Svidrigailov family. Mr. Svidrigailov has been sexually harassing her, and she couldn't do anything about it because of her debts to him. Now that she has paid off the debt, she is engaged to marry one Pyotr Lutzen. The way the letter is written, Lutzen sounds like a horrible guy, but Dunya is enthusiastic about the marriage because Lutzen is wealthy and could help Raskolnikov get back on his feet. The reason Dunya is looking out for her brother is that Raskolnikov dropped out of college recently and is now in between employment, to put it nicely. The letter ends with the promise that Dunya and Pulcheria will be moving to Raskolnikov's town soon, where Lutzen will meet all of them. If these names are confusing you, don't worry. It took me most of the book to get everybody straight. I'll try and help you out as much as possible, though. Anyways, Raskolnikov hates the idea that his sister would marry such a bad guy purely out of pity for him. Upon going out on the town, he overhears a conversation from Litsaveta Ivanovna. Litsaveta is the daughter of the old pawnbroker lady. Raskolnikov learns that Litsaveta will not be at the apartment tonight, meaning the old lady will be all alone. This, on top of his motivation to save his sister from such a bad marriage, cements his decision. He will commit murder tonight. While planning the final details of his crime, Raskolnikov establishes one of the focal points of his psychological exploration. He believes that he is some sort of criminal mastermind, and he knows just where all the other criminals make their mistakes. He also believes that he is morally exempt from the punishment of his crime, since he is poor and in dire need, and the old lady is wealthier than he, and often takes advantage of her poorer clients. Raskolnikov uses this reasoning to convince himself that he is actually doing the right thing by killing her. This is a little recurring piece from Dostoevsky on the criminal rationale in society, claiming that people will pass off their crimes as righteous because they are at a disadvantage, and taking from the better off is the fair thing to do. Raskolnikov steals an axe, conceals it in his coat, and sets out for the Ivanovna apartment. Once he gets there, he distracts her by offering a fake metal piece to sell. While she is turned around, he takes out the axe and kills her. Now, kills her is probably the biggest understatement you'll hear today. 
I mean, he really goes in on her with the axe. Dostoevsky spares no detail. After she is dead, Lizaveta walks into the apartment because Raskolnikov left the door unlocked. Nice one. Unfortunately, this means Lizaveta gets it too, again, very bloodily. So now there are two dead bodies and more people walking up the stairs to the door. Raskolnikov manages to lock the door just in time as more clients of the old lady show up to pawn their items. He holds the door shut long enough for them to go back down the stairs in search of the janitor to unlock the room. Once they've gone, Raskolnikov runs out, stops into an empty apartment being freshly painted to avoid the men coming back up the stairs, and then slips out of the complex altogether. He hides the stolen item several times, first in his room and then again outside, sleeps a lot, and then visits his friend Retsumihin. Retsumihin was Raskolnikov's roommate at university, and he's also the foil for our protagonist. Where Raskolnikov is very frank, rude, and disregarding of human emotions, Ratsumihin is very likable, talkative, and accommodating. This characterization is why Ratsumihin comes back with Raskolnikov to take care of him, as Raskolnikov has fallen very ill. At first, it was just mental conflict bothering our protagonist, but after a little while, the guilt from the crime almost completely physically incapacitates Raskolnikov, tying back into what Dostoevsky thinks the real punishment is. Part of the great expression of the criminal mind comes from the way Dostoevsky writes Raskolnikov's thoughts. Most authors write thoughts in plain sentences, but Dostoevsky chooses to state our protagonist's thoughts in quotations. This adds a feel that Raskolnikov really has two different characters between the internal confliction of his mental voice and the voice which he projects to people around him. This could also be a play by the author to show how much turmoil is going on in a criminal's mind, even while they're coexisting with the rest of society. It's even scarier when the two voices cross over, which works to keep the reader on their toes and asking, did he really just say that out loud? Anyways, this turmoil has left our protagonist bedridden. Lutzen, his sister's fiancé, visits the two of them while Rasky is still sick. I'm going to call him Rasky off and on from this point forward because Raskolnikov is quite the mouthful to repeat in every sentence. So, Lutzen is every bit the pretentious guy that Rasky suspected, and Rasky chews and kicks him out of the apartment. Rasky heads back out on the town. He runs into Zamatov, a cop, at the tavern. Rasky plays with him in conversation, nearly confessing to the murders in the meantime, but ultimately plays it off as a big joke and leaves the detective very confused. Upon leaving the tavern, he comes across Marmaladov, the drunk from the beginning of the book. Marmaladov, presumably drunk, has been trampled by a horse and is near death. Just like the murders before, Dostoevsky writes heavily about the grotesque nature of the injury. These gory depictions pretty much serve as a point of relativity to make the lighter, more affectionate moments of the novel have greater effect. In a hard, realistic world where things are so horrific, it makes you appreciate the nicer moments, right? So Rasky quickly pays the cops to carry the man to his family's apartment. The doctor is unable to do anything, and Marmaladov dies on his own sofa, much to his wife and children's horror. Rasky gives all of his money to the widow Katerina and meets the eldest daughter prostituting to help out, Sonia. Rasky's mother and sister have arrived, and he is pretty rude to them. He tells Dunya that she's not marrying Lutzen and kicks them out of his apartment. Ratsumin does his best to comfort them and help the situation because that's just the nice guy that he is. The next day, Lutzen invites the girls to dinner, but expressly states Rasky is not to attend, or else he'll break stuff off with Dunya. Nobody pays attention to that last part, so Rasky and Ratumahin are both going to come. 
Sonia shows up and invites Rasky to her father's funeral and dinner, and he accepts. When Sonia leaves, she is followed by a sketchy guy who turns out to be her neighbor. Good. Rasky and Ratumihin go to visit Porfiry Petrovich, who is the lead investigator on the murder case. Porfiry talks about how he read an article Rasky wrote for a magazine talking about crime. Rasky had written about his thoughts on crime and how the more important people in the world can usually get away with crimes because they pass it off as helping the greater good. Sort of the same points he made when reasoning with himself to commit his crime. Now the lead investigator has read it. Not sure if Rasky fits his mold of a criminal mastermind, but I digress. Porphyry also is used as a vessel here to talk about Dostoevsky's belief on how a criminal's true punishment comes from himself. This piece rings especially true with Rasky, as he notes that everything Porphyry says about the toll guilt takes on a criminal has been undergone by him throughout this whole ordeal. Shocker. Rasky returns to his room and goes to sleep. He wakes up to find Svidrigailov standing there watching him. Svidrigailov is the guy who Dunya was working for, the one who was sexually harassing her, remember? Turns out his wife just killed herself, and he has followed Dunya here to try and get together with her. Rasky is obviously opposed to this idea. Ratumin comes and collects Rasky for the dinner with Lutzen. Lutzen ends up revealing himself as the horrible person that he is, taking advantage of Dunya because she is poor, and accuses her of selling herself to Svidrigailov for money even though he is widely rumored to be a child molester whose victims often kill themselves. There is a contest here, the reader witnesses with this book, on who the worst criminal is, Raskolnikov or Svidrigailov. Dostoevsky appears to place the child molester in lower light than the double murderer, but it's up to personal interpretation, I suppose. This gets Lutzen promptly kicked out, and he swears revenge on Rasky because somehow it's his fault. Rasky visits Sonia at her apartment, and they talk about the murders, as Litsaveta was one of Sonia's friends. Rasky says he'll return the next day and tell her who the murderer is. It turns out Svidrigailov is the mysterious guy who is following Sonia, which means that he is in the room next to them while this conversation takes place and hears all of it. Rasky then visits Porphyry, who torments him with mind games and almost gets him to confess to the murders. The mental turmoil that takes place during this scene is essentially the peak of Rasky's guilt and the toll that it's taken on him. The guy is in really bad shape, and Porphyry exposes that. However, at the last second, one of the men who was at the apartment the night of the murder busts into the room and falsely confesses himself. The dinner for Marmoladov's death is being held at Katerina's apartment. Lutzen happens to be staying in the same building, so he tries to frame Sonia of stealing money from him as a part of his plan to win Dunya back. His plan is thwarted, he looks silly, vows revenge on Rasky again, and leaves. Rasky sits down with Sonia in her room and confesses that he is the murderer. She is strangely understanding, saying she'll follow him to prison, but advises he turns himself into the police. Svidrigailov, being next door, tells Rasky that he heard the confession before fleeing and ends up holding Dunya prisoner in his room. He almost rapes her, but she pulls out a gun and misses a lot of shots, but it was enough for him to let her go. That escalated quickly, right? Svidrigailov has a really bad night mentally and ends up shooting himself the next morning. His punishment for all of his crimes ended up being imposed by himself, once again reinforcing Dostoevsky's titular theme. Sonia convinces Rasky to turn himself into the police, and he does. He gets eight years in Siberia, partially due to his cooperation and partially due to his being proved insane at the time of the crime. Sonia follows him to Siberia. 
But Sumihin and Donya get married and also move out to Siberia. At first, Rasky is still very rude and mean to Sonia, but after spending a while sick in the hospital, he has an epiphany and discovers he actually does love Sonia. Remember how the gory horror parts of the novel make the lovey parts even better? This is one of those parts. He concludes that prison will be very taxing, but he is prepared to make a total reform and start a positive life with Sonia once he gets out. Yay, the end. This ending in particular shows Dostoevsky's belief that prison should be a place of reform instead of punishment. And on top of that, prison should merely be an accessory in which the reform takes place, as the true change will only come from inside the criminal. Almost anyone paying attention to the criminal discipline system in America today will see the connection between what Dostoevsky said 150 years ago and what many people are calling for now. Many have come to believe that the government should be doing a better job of trying to help criminals move away from their detrimental lifestyle and find a life above the trap that possibly motivated them to commit the crimes in the first place. Dostoevsky's piece on why impoverished criminals justify their crimes also rings true still, two centuries later and across one large body of water. And most of all, Dostoevsky stresses the importance of a criminal's family support throughout their trials following a crime. Without his family and friends, our boy Rasky would have likely killed himself before the first act concluded. These reasons are what I believe keep crime and punishment relevant today, and why Dostoevsky's prize novel is widely considered as a classic. Thank you, everyone, and I'll talk to you after the new year. This is Classics with Adam, signing off.